0: So we celebrated my daughter's second birthday this weekend. Um, and, and one of the things we got, or I actually got it for her at like the first home game and have kept it hidden because it's, it turns out it's pretty easy to hide things from toddlers. Um, you, you put it in the closet and they're afraid of the closet and so they don't go in it. It's great. Um, but, they're also but I got small heard. and
1: can't reach high areas.
0: Also, also that, and it, it doesn't actually occur to them to look for presents. They just think that things appear. They don't think that they're hiding somewhere. Um, Anyway, I got her one of those bleacher creature uh, stuffed animals that, that the team started carrying this year. And I got her Talon because at games she gets really excited uh, when she sees Talon across the field or, or, or far away. And, and uh, on weekends sometimes she'll see me on my phone or on my iPad and she'll ask if she can look at pictures of Talon. It's really adorable. She says, can I, can I see pictures of Talon? It's like, okay. And so I pull up Twitter. Uh, Talon has his own Twitter account so i pull up twitter or just do an image search on google and and she just swipes through she's before she was two she could swipe through pictures on uh on on my mobile device uh so we get her a little you know six inch stuffed talon and and she immediately loved it she kind of throws it sometimes because talon's an eagle and he should fly and so she just (laughs) will hawk him across the room She'll huck anything across the room at this point. She likes throwing things. I'm excited for softball when that becomes a thing. Um, but, but yeah, she loves Talon and she'll, she'll pet him. And she wanted to take him into the bathtub. And I had to say, no, Talon's, he's not a duck. He's an eagle. He needs to not go in the bathtub. I can't say, no, he's a stuffed animal. He's not real and he'll get wet and moldy and I'll have to buy you a new one. Um, <laughs> I can't say that to a two-year-old. Um, so I had to come up with another story.
1: <laughs> You could, if you wanted to just crush all dreams forever.
0: Which maybe, you know, at some point that'll happen, but I haven't, I haven't reached that breaking point. I've reached several breaking points, but not that one as a parent just yet. Um, there there are several breaking points that those of you who are not parents who will become parents will, will learn to uh, come to terms with at some point in the future. This is not a parenting podcast, though. This is a DC United podcast. Hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. I'm Adam Taylor, joined as always by Ben Bromley and Jason Anderson. All three of us are from blackandredunited.com, where we write about DC United, the US national teams, uh, the Richmond Kickers, the Washington Spirit. Got it right this week. Did not travel back in time to name the wrong team. Uh, and and lots more. We Uh, have a good show it's always a good show after united wins and united not only won but won uh in in impressive fashion i would say against uh their their old rivals the new york red bulls beat the metros two to nothing and we're going to talk about that and we will talk about the game this friday against their new rivals if you ask mls about it um We'll, we'll have a friend of ours, Eugene Rapinski, from brotherlygame.com on to talk about that game uh, in Philly this weekend. But before we do anything, Jason, what are you drinking?
2: Uh, I ran out of beer, um, and I even went to a uh, Gordon Beer sh- to, uh, after the Spirit game, actually, uh, because it was the only... Pl- my choices at that hour, uh, driving an hour from the Soccerplex home, my, my choices when I got home were fast food garbage or go to Gordon Biersch who apparently will stay open and serve food till like midnight. Um, so I went in there and I had my growler in the car and I did not take it in to get a growler fill. So I have no beer. Um, so I was left with uh liquor only <laughs> drinks. So I made an old fashioned, old fashioned, uh, as I have standby. In the past. Yes. Uh, because it's with Evan Williams single barrel, which, uh, as we've said about a billion times, is about as good as it gets as far as uh, value bourbons. Um, mm-hmm. yep. Evan Williams, if you would like to sponsor us, please contact contact us. I can't even speak. Never mind.
0: at com is the email address if you're interested in sponsoring us. If you're Evan Williams or someone else interested in sponsoring us, joining the likes of the Ehrlich Law Office as a sponsor of the podcast. And we love the Ehrlich Law Office. They should get some company. Ben, what are you drinking tonight?
1: So, instead of Telling a long story about what I don't have to drink tonight, Uh, I'll just tell a short story about what I do. Uh, I enjoy old-timey drinks that uh, occurred in the past, and so I'm drinking Planter's Punch, which is rum, lime juice, a little bit of sugar. I threw in a dash of bitters. Nice. Shook it up in my cocktail shaker and poured it in a glass. I like the
2: idea that there is a rum drink and someone was like, you know what this needs is some sugar. Yeah. (laughs)
1: That's the past.
2: That's, yeah.
0: Um, I mean,
1: they needed to put some sugar in so they didn't die of dysentery or something.
0: I don't think that's how that works.
1: Well, they wanted to sweeten the lime juice so they didn't die of scurvy.
0: If they were on a ship, yes. That wouldn't be planter's punch, though.
1: Or if they were just, like, assholes who didn't get enough citrus. Okay, possibly that too. You don't need sugar to get more citrus.
0: No, you don't. And lime...
1: If you don't like the sourness of citrus, you just want to get some sugar in there. That's what the rum is for.
0: <laughs> rum is plenty sweet enough. Um, although back in the day, like back in historical cocktail times or pre-cocktail times when punch was as custom as ba- you got, they did have ba- very sweet palates. I won't lie. Ba-
1: back in Hamilton's time.
0: Yes, indeed. Back in Hamilton's time. Um, and rum was the drink of choice back then. Okay. Uh. Adam,
1: what are you drinking?
0: I am drinking what I think is called a South Cider. Um, it is basically, I, I wanted to keep some of the mojo from last week uh, when, when I had uh, a mojito, but I didn't want to punish myself by forcing myself to drink more rum, which I have bad memories of and cannot really stomach that well. So uh, instead of rum, I, made, I used gin, and I looked up what the gin version of a mojito or a mint julep is called and it I think it's called a south cider, uh apparently. So that's what I'm going with. I might call it a northwester or or something more DC than that, but or southeaster or or whatever. Well a southwester for DC United's yeah, new stadium uh, location. Go. That's that's what we'll go with. We'll call it a southwester. Uh a buzzard point southwester. Uh that got. is what that's what we'll go with. Uh so when you write the description of this episode, Ben That's what you can call it. Or you can call it whatever you want. You have pretty much full discretion there, don't you? We can't. Yep.
1: We can't. Can't stop. Won't stop.
0: Don't care to stop. Uh, (laughs) uh, And that all being said, let's turn to the soccer. DC United took the first round of this year's Atlantic Cup on Friday night, beating what has to be said was a subpar. Red Bull side, two to nothing. Goals from Alvaro Sabarillo and patrick niarko and you promised us you weren't going to do that ben you promised us before the show
1: i promised nothing i said i probably wouldn't what if it was me
0: (laughs) it wasn't jason we know it was ben everyone listening said why did ben just do that we all all knew it was ben um cowbells aside uh this was probably the best 90 minute performance of of the year ben uh how much did you enjoy it
1: oh it was amazing i i I loved it a great deal especially because of the fact that they took the game by the horns pun intended uh from the very beginning and were able to score in the first half score twice in the first half and then despite the new york red bulls trying to be a little frisky early in the second. We're able to just shut down the rest of the second half and close out the game without the Red Bulls really threatening that much at all. I mean, Travis War had a great game. The offense had a great game. Uh, the defense was good. It was, just, it was the most complete performance that the team has had so far this year.
0: Yeah, it was interesting looking at the stats after the game. For the first half hour or so, DC United bossed possession in this game, and then after the the first goal, the Red Bulls started to come back in, and then after the second goal, uh, the second goal, game states kind of took over and. Uh, the metros had the large majority of possession from for for the rest of the game, um, which, which caused me to say after the game to to you guys that that this is what effective Benny Ball can look like uh, and has looked like in the past because uh, between the, the the two goals, the Red Bulls had a couple of good chances that Travis Wara saved the day on uh, Dax McCarty's header and then uh, that double save after that. Um, yep. But but beyond that, the the Red Bulls really didn't generate a lot of chances. It was a very competent performance, um, not the sexiest thing in the world, you know, not scoring five goals or anything like that, but very competent, uh, composed performance. Ben Olsen, after the game, said that this should be the baseline for the team going forward, which is great to hear a coach say that after the best performance of the year. It's like he's like it sucks that you have to it has to be your rivals to get you up to the level where you need to be every single week. Um, but hopefully now that we know what it looks like, that's what we'll be going forward. Um, which means DC United might get two players. If if they do manage to make this the baseline, DC United would have two players in the team of the week every week, which would be kind of nice this week. It's uh, Patrick Nyarko and Travis Wara were both named in the the team of the week. Uh, Jason, we talked about it on lot eight live after the game, but the Red Bulls were were pretty poor in this one, and their tactics had something to do with it. Jesse Marsh ran them out in, in not the best formation for them. Um, people can go watch that video if they want to hear you talk about it more, although I can't stop you from going into it. But I, I'm more curious what you thought about uh, Ben Olsen's tactics and whether this was a case of Benny Ball making the other team or helping the other team look bad.
2: Um. I wouldn't I, I I hesitate to ever use the term Benny Ball under any circumstances because yeah. it means so so much to Something so many different, different people different, that yeah. uh I feel like it, it gets in the way of clarity. Um I do think that United started the game really intelligently by, by carrying the game to the Red Bulls and not uh sitting back. I think uh Patrick Nyarko had a quote that was in the uh the team's official uh, post-game quotes piece, which I believe is on their site, I believe it's not too hard to find, um, where he noted that that was part of the intention was, don't let them get into a rhythm, because once they get into a rhythm, they start to get very comfortable with how things are going, and then that's when they're effective. Um, so in the opening stages of the game, United went out, uh, They I wouldn't say they pl- applied a high press, but they were uh, intelligent about when they pressed, and we've seen that a couple times this season, where they've been very smart about pressing at the right moments, and they've used it to dictate—maybe not a whole game, but at least uh, in LA, they use it to dominate a half uh, before the second half happened. Um, and I think we saw a good example of that again. Um, I do think that it sounded like from some of those post-game quotes that they were prepared for the four-two-three-one that the Red Bulls normally run out, and instead Marsh played the box midfield that he's been trying to get make happen for them that just has not worked. And um the guys from Once in Metro have been uh they all were lamenting it uh because they're they've seen all of those games it just it doesn't make sense. have um, they
0: taken to calling the box midfield fetch?
2: Not yet. Um we'll see though. I, I can't tell I can't tell what they're going to do. Um <laughs> but uh you know United was smart in certain ways. Um playing Niarco and Nagel uh inverted in the early stages. Um I think that helped because that means that both players are coming inside a little bit um, to help out with the fact that it's now four on two in central midfield at times. Um, Acosta was played not as a second forward, but really between the midfield and yeah. Um And in defensive phases, he had a lot to do, um, not just leading, helping lead the pressure, but he also was occupying he wasn't man marking Dax McCarty so much as just being near him so that it was more difficult to find him so McCarty was having to make you know run an extra five ten yards to get himself open because there's a guy between him and the ball um so I think they got especially in the early stages they got the tactics dead on whereas the Red Bulls made a slew of errors on that front and that's when the game turned um United got got some confidence going, which they needed after, you know, the NYCFC game was, was so disappointing. Um, they got their goal. It was a very nice goal too. It wasn't some accident. Um, it was a very thoughtful goal, uh, involving a a bunch of different players and, really involving the ball moving, um, front to back. I mean, the ball ended up covering, covering about a, you know, 60 yard box on the field. Um, before Nyarko plays it through for Sarvas, uh, to uh you know very intelligently play the ball across rather than try the blind shot and hope for the best kind of move um and i think the red bulls never really recovered from that i think uh the game was kind of over once wara's triple save happened um mm-hmm. that was their 92nd push at finding themselves back into the game it didn't work out and from there they didn't really create anything um and united created another goal um another Thoughtful goal, maybe not goal of the week caliber, but a good goal um, that involved people making good runs and and playing the ball at the right time at the right weight. Um, a little fortuitous, too,
0: because the reason Alvaro Sabarillo was in position to make the tackle that led to that goal, and he got a, a hockey assist on that because he's the one that sprung Nagel to put the cross in for Niarco. And mm-hmm. um, the reason he was in position to make that tackle near the midfield stripe was because he got kicked and went down and the referee didn't call it. And he called play on and the guys kept playing. And then Sabarillo finally gets back up and Mike Grella just passes him the ball. <laughs> right. And Thank,
1: thanks, Petrescu. Yeah. Question mark?
0: Yeah, exactly. Pachescu had uh, a couple questionable advantage calls was, for DC United in this game. game. This one was a good one.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Oddly. Yeah, he had a weird game, all in all, because normally he's the, one of the most, uh, if he dies, he dies kind of referees. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, and yet he ended up going to his, his pocket four times in the first half, including two early. Um, I think, yeah, Sarvas and Grello were both booked by the 11th minute. Mm-hmm. Um, normally, for Petrescu to go that to go with cards that early, it means that someone has actually been
1: killed. Um, and, and there was also some awesome uh, slow mo Benny uh, sideline lip reading. If you yes. if you choose to partake in that sort of thing, right after the Sarvas yellow card, NSFW lip reading. Yeah, indeed, very very much so. Um, but, but you know, overall,
2: I think United set themselves up. I think they knew that they couldn't get into a 90 minute up and down game against the Red Bulls. So they said, let's go out, get ourselves a lead um, and and really throw them out of their stride and make them have to figure some things out. Um, And in the, in 2015, it was the opposite in every single time United played the Red Bulls. It was, um, or I, I shouldn't say the complete opposite. There were a couple games where United actually started decently and then gave up a goal and then it all fell apart Um, But later in the season, it was all about the Red Bulls were going to have possession. They were going to have the territorial advantage. Mm -hmm. And United was basically looking for either a counter, a set piece or a huge defensive mistake on a long ball. Um, And that was it. And in this game, they gave the Red Bulls a lot more to worry about. And um, I think it was the right move. You know, the Red Bulls defense has been kind of a mess with injuries and not just injuries, but um, players underperforming. Um, a lot of guys kind of came have come back down to earth after all sort of playing out of their minds at once last year. Um, it's one of those things that happens in MLS where mm-hmm. you win a supporter shield, not necessarily because you've actually assembled the best team, but because everyone hits their stride and doesn't get hurt for six months. Yeah. Lightning um, in a
0: bottle is something that happens in this league sometime. The quakes yeah, a few years ago.
2: Yeah. but Maybe more than any team ever uh, in MLS, yeah. um, given that they scored like 75 goals playing the most basic uh, tactical approach uh, possibly ever. Um, Just thumping it to big guys and seeing what happens. Um, But yeah, uh, I think that the vital portion of this game and the the part of the game that encourages me is the opening stages, because from there um, the one knock I'd have on this performance, the one thing I'd say is that uh, I think it was the most intelligent performance United has had this year, but I don't know if it was the best overall simply because of the passing numbers, which were very low. I think mm-hmm. they were at 65% accuracy as a team, um, which just indicates a level of sloppiness and a level of let's just dump it long and, and get in, into our uh, defensive shape. Uh, it's it, that happened too much in the second half. I would have preferred a little more possession to kill the game off, but at the same time, the red bulls were able to do absolutely zero with uh you know, they were given the ball and they were not able to do anything after halftime. So I can't complain too much.
0: Yeah, I think uh, some of the game, some of it, some of our um, pleasure with this game need does need to be tempered by the fact that the Red Bulls don't know how to score against an organized defense uh, in 2016. It's something they have not proven capable of. So it, I, I understand the the tactical choice. Once you're up two goals to sit in and absorb that pressure because they're not going to break you at this point until they prove that they can, there's no downside to just giving them the ball. Uh, there were some moments, uh, in the first half where I thought the central midfield did a really good job of being intelligently brave, uh, brave enough to stick to the game plan and brave enough to hold on to the ball in a way that United of recent years passed. Um, wouldn't uh, the midfield of Davey Arno and Perry kitchen for all of its uh, pluses was not good at holding onto the ball. Uh, Nick DeLeon and, and Marcelo Sarvas, however, are willing to let a, a defender come a little closer and then make the pass to, to open up a lane, to bring the defense a little closer to you to free up your teammates a little bit more. They have that, the bravery to, to not panic with the ball at their feet, which is something Arnault and, and Perry kitchen didn't always have. Um, they, they had a lot of bravery, just not in that particular respect when they were in central midfield a lot of the time. So it was nice to see Ben Olson's promised changes in the midfield, uh, that he made after the Red Bulls knocked United out last year in the playoffs. You saw a little bit of that this time and it was nice to see, and it was great to see it work. I thought, uh, go ahead.
2: Oh, I, I was just going to say, I, I think, with the differing central midfield, it's not just that they are willing to take that risk. It's that they're able to. Yeah. Um, I think kitchen and Arnold both knew well enough that um, their first touch their, their technique in, in manipulating the ball to set themselves up for a pass uh, sort of, it sort of forced upon them that choice of getting rid of it more quickly. Um, Those are guys that had to play one and two touch because, you know, that first touch might not be, you know, if they take that first touch, it might not be good enough and they might end up all of a sudden in a 50-50 situation. Um, Sarvas and De Leon are, I keep wanting to say Sarvas. He he wants to be known as Marcelo. Yeah. So I've, I've been writing it as Marcelo, um, but I need to start saying it. Um, But yeah, Marcelo and De Leon have been uh, or are better with that first touch. Um, And that's not a knock on kitchen or a note. It's just, they're different players with different skill sets and, it has really – I shouldn't say it has because it hasn't helped every single week, but I think it's it's becoming evident that if United can be consistent uh, about how they play, this can be a very important change. This can be uh, the kind of thing that helps them uh, take a little more possession where they're not having to depend on being organized and depend on good goalkeeping and all that, um, where they can actually involve uh, – the midfield and attack in keeping the ball a little more. Um, but it all starts in the center of midfield and it all starts with those guys being able to take that risk to bring someone out of position, uh, to make the other team break their shape to try and press the ball. And then all of a sudden everyone else, you know, the other four players ahead of you all are going to have that little bit more room. And a lot of times that little, you know, those couple of steps, they kind of, you know, they trickle down and eventually you find yourself with more room, you know, three, four passes later, that this wouldn't have happened last year uh, with a less technical central midfield.
0: One last point I want to make in this game. And that is Fabian Espindolo who, who got a cameo on the field, didn't score a goal, didn't, didn't do a lot in his, in his short time on the field, but he got back on the field. He's back from that hamstring injury, Um, which would make you think that Ben Olsen would have him penciled into the team sheet uh, for Friday night's game at Philadelphia. But, Sabo had probably his best game as a starter in a DC United uniform. We've talked about on the show how he's been a super sub. He's been borderline unplayable in some of his substitute appearances. But as a starter, he's been very, very playable, unfortunately, for DC United. Um, He's been easy to defend. He hasn't been engaged in this game. He was locked in to a degree. I don't know that we've ever seen Sabo since uh, he came over from Real Salt Lake. So can Ben Olsen sit him after that performance? Ben, who do you want to see up top against Philadelphia? Fabi or Sabo?
1: I think Ben Olsen has a really great, actually a really great situation right now in that he can play uh, Sabo because Sabo has to be number one on the team sheet right now because he and Acosta work the best together right now. And, you
0: and can't, Acosta has to be on the field. We haven't talked Acosta, about him at all today, yeah. but, but Acosta has to be on the field.
1: Yeah, he, and he he continued to prove that in this game as well. But coming up, Sabarillo is going to be going to Copa America with Costa Rica, and Fabi isn't. And so uh, Fabi is going to get some time while Sabo is at the Copa America, and that'll be a great opportunity for Ben Olsen to compare the two like-to-like, not compare starting appearances to... Uh, substitute appearances or uh, someone on a good run of form against someone who's just coming back from injury. He'll be able to compare like to like, and he'll be able to compare Sabarillo with Acosta and Fabi with Acosta. And so once they come back from, uh, I, I think he has to ride Sabarillo through when he leaves for Copa America. And then Fabi gets a time to work with Acosta. And then after Copa America, then Ben Olsen gets to make the tough decision as to who he starts going forward. Yeah. At this
0: point, I would not be surprised if, like Bobby Boswell, Saburio has kind of a coaster form. Boswell was good in this game. He was not good against NYCFC. And I wouldn't be surprised if Sabo was on a similar sort of cycle and he no-showed against Philly, which worries me. Um, and if that's the case, then Fabi comes in in the second half. I think Sabo will get the start. I think you're right that Ben Olsen will do that, and I think that's the right call. But it does worry me that that Sabo has had patchy form as a starter. Um, and, and so Like Fabi hasn't. Yeah, I mean, Fabi hasn't been good this year either, which is why there's uh, Al-Haji Kamara sitting there with his ankle iced after training today, um, waiting to get into the fold. Um, and if he's ready to go by you know, June by the second week of June, when Copa America happens, that would be pretty nice. If he's ready to go after Copa America, after that break, it'd be good to have another forward option.
2: I mean, I would caution people about that. The mid June is probably about a month too optimistic. Yeah. That's um, probably. Given that he just wasn't, he wasn't allowed to play or train. Um, so he is probably out running on his own um, and doing stuff like that by himself um, because his club in Sweden was basically like, we can't, ba- I mean, legally speaking, they're probably worried about lawsuits and such that, like, you can't train here. We can't do anything with you. Right. Um, we can't, you can't come see the official doctor. You can't do anything. Um,
0: the reason, the reason I say there's a chance that he, he could be ready after the Copa America break is because he was in full training today. He had a, collision with Bill Hamid and left right. practice with his, with his ankle iced according to both our own Steven Streff and, and Pablo Mar mm. who were on site. Yeah. Um, so the fact that he's in full training, assuming that that ankle injury isn't serious, something. it is um, something. And I think that he could be it. a month away,
1: but also Bill Hamid is made of titanium and strength. So except anyone would get knee. injured
0: <laughs> except for Bill Hamid's knee not good.
1: Right.
2: But, uh, I mean, the, the thing with, with, with Kamara getting hurt at training, it, it does mean he is training with the group, but I mean, he needs to undergo a, like a preseason and you can't be like, okay, Al Haji, you're going to go do preseason all by yourself. You, you just signed with this team and you've just moved to the U S but now you have to go stay by yourself for a while, uh, working with just trainers. Um, it's, there's also, and getting adapted to the group, getting, you know, Getting integrated as a person with your coworkers um, right. is part of it too. So um, I would imagine there's kind of a mix. I think his his training schedule is most likely a mix of training with the group and then also having to do other fitness work. It's probably not too different from what Marcus Halstead had to do recently mm-hmm. um, with um, – I know Halstey uh, loves to use Instagram. He had some, some pictures of some of the workout equipment he was having to do, like the the big thick ropes that you take one in each hand and you have to make them uh, – you whip them through the air uh, to build arm and core strength or, or something. I don't know. Um, I've never had to do that. I'm sure it's trying and I'm sure it does make you fitter. I just don't know uh, exactly what it does, but you it looks cool. Does
1: it, it, it makes you fitter, happier, and more productive from what I've heard. Perhaps.
2: Uh, at least this is the, uh, if, if DC United signs Tom York as a, uh, a head of training.
1: <laughs> Sounds like a good idea. I think his his, his nihilism would uh, make
0: everyone try harder. I mean, if you've ever seen him perform live, he does work out a lot of energy on stage. He does kind of just like,
1: you, he does you know, like just giant white boy flail.
0: He does. He is a great British boy flail.
2: You're never going to hear someone criticize him for showing up overweight. It's true. That, that's very true. He, right. he put himself through his own paces. <laughs> Before this
0: devolves further into a weird Radiohead hour, um, anything else about the D.C. United Red Bulls game you guys want to talk about?
1: Uh, no, ha, I think ha, screw I them.
0: Yeah, all right. Yeah, I mean, screw the Red Bulls. That's it, that's valid. Oh, well,
1: I, well, actually, specifically, thank you, Jesse Marsh, for not starting Lloyd Sam on the wing, yes. like he probably should have. With, well, the th- the thing with that is that Sam has been so bad this year that Marsh mm-hmm. had to be
2: like, on one hand, this guy kills United, on the other hand, he's been terrible. Uh, of all against all the games, the everyone else, Jesse
0: Marsh chooses um, this one. It was, oh man, right. it was.
1: I and then puts that. him in, and then, and then puts him in in the middle when he comes in. In the right. second, I was round. incredibly happy with in,
0: Jesse Marsh's decision making in this game.
1: <laughs> when he came in, they did go
2: more to 4 2 3 1 because it, it, it was, it was just too late. They like, waited mm-hmm. till the 57th minute, and it was just the damage was done, and the game was already set into a rhythm of, of bad news for the Red Bulls, and, um, yeah, they needed something more than that, and they needed to do it earlier than than what they did. Um, yeah, I'm I I'm looking at the the lineups from both teams, and I'm just shaking my head, uh, shaking my head at the whole thing. Um, I guess it's good that we didn't spend a couple million dollars on Gonzalo Varone because that's not looking like
1: a great investment right now. No, but wait, but wait, I was I was told that the Red Bulls are one of the cheapest teams in the league. Oh yeah, they're, they're more blue collar than DC United yeah that's what that's what i've been told
0: yeah that's totally a credible report um and with that shade thrown we will be Uh, right back uh, this is filibuster the black and red united podcast well it's a it's a new season here in dc for dc united and for us here at filibuster as we enter season number five of the podcast yay us happy birthday us uh, we want to take time to record a new message from our sponsor, the Ehrlich law office. They provide discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions for those of us living in Northern Virginia and the district of Columbia. Sorry, Jason, you're out of luck. I, I guess I'm doomed. You you are doomed. Um, <laughs> This message goes to people in Nova and D.C. Your rights matter. You deserve to be free from harassment and you deserve to work. Um,
1: Marylanders deserve none of that.
0: I, I wouldn't go that far, Ben, but well, but we'll people, in Nova and be, people in Northern Virginia and D.C. That. definitely applies to you. I can't speak to whether it applies in Maryland. Uh, if you th- have suffered from workplace discrimination or wage theft, Uh, you're, you're dealing with some non-competition or non-solicitation litigation, your civil rights have been violated, uh, or there's been illegal taking by the government, or you have, uh, disability issues, or you have, uh, a complaint in education law, then the Ehrlich law office is who you should talk to. They're good friends of the show. Uh, I, I know the, the lawyers there personally, they are really good at their jobs and they're really good people. Uh, And you should check them out for a free consultation. Go to Ehrlich slash filibuster. Welcome back to filibuster, the black and red United podcast. DC United uh, is going to visit the newly renamed Talon energy stadium. The very tastefully named, I think Talon that's a good name. Good, strong name. Uh, It'll be the second of, third of three straight Friday Night Encounters for DC United. This time, they'll be playing the Philadelphia Union. It'll be 7 o'clock on Unimas and Univision Deportes Network. Eugene Rapinski from brotherlygame.com is here to help us preview the game. Eugene, welcome to the show.
3: Hey, guys. How's it going?
0: Doing well. Uh, we warned you beforehand. Our first question is obligatory.
3: What are you drinking? I'm currently drinking... Uh, tap water. Some of Wilmington, Delaware's finest. So, how the is, whole, how is Wilmington, Delaware's tap water? It's unleaded, as far as I know. Well, that's that pretty is, good. That's a good baseline. Uh, <laughs> we had we had
0: uh, a e. Rivera on recently, and he was drinking New York tap water, and they swear it's the finest in the world. Are you willing to make a similar claim for Wilmington, Delaware?
3: No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That is completely fair. Uh, switching from from hard water to, I don't know. There's some joke to be made about no, something. No, there isn't. No, no there's, there's probably not. not. <laughs> so the Philadelphia Union. First and foremost, I have to have to check in about a good friend of ours and make sure you're taking good friend good care of our friend Chris Pontius.
3: Absolutely, uh, Chris has been a godsend uh, coming over. You know there were a lot of us uh, here that were concerned with his history of injury. Um, You know he had kind of fallen off of the radar for the past couple of years, uh, and the union were on the hook for for a lot of money, and it seemed like quite a gamble, and and it has absolutely paid off. Um, You know he's been one of our key players uh, this year in in a very crowded midfield uh, with a a lot of very good midfielders so to have him kind of have that renaissance uh is is very good uh so have
0: you guys seen the is special yet and that that is a move that he 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 had very early on with dc united and in the box he would dip his shoulder to the left and then cut back onto his right foot and send the ball curling to the far post um have you seen that goal yet
3: you know, I haven't. I haven't been looking for that, though. Yeah, That's, keep your uh, eye out for
0: that move. He, he, he stopped going to it as frequently uh, as teams figured it out, but it's been a while since he, he successfully pulled it off, and I, I bet you'll see it. Hopefully not on Friday night, but, but pretty soon I bet you'll see it.
3: I would, I would love to see that uh, early and often as long as it works. Um, Friday night's as good a night as any. It is not, in fact, as good a night as any. <laughs> um, we'll have to agree to disagree about that.
0: <laughs> uh that said, y'all seem to be good this year. What's what's working for the Philadelphia Union right now? It's really weird to see what you and the Montreal impact up at the top of the Eastern Conference.
3: It's really weird. Uh, you know, we were talking about <laughs> Brotherly Game. We were talking a brotherly game uh last week before, you know, even before drawing LA and, and Montreal away about how do we cover a good team this is not something we've really had to deal with it's <laughs> been very easy to be angry at the team and and they're terrible and and that's our comfort zone and now we're getting out of our comfort zone and and uh you know it's i like it it's good to finally be watching a winning club it's good to see a club that was an absolute dumpster fire a a year, two years ago, be able to turn everything around in such a short period of time. Yeah. I think, uh, at this point
0: we from black and red United have more experience writing about trophies on brotherly game than anybody who writes for the brotherly game, uh, (laughs) which, which dates to a, a bet from back former managers of both sites, uh, like when, when the union first started, mm-hmm. uh, betting on who would win a trophy first and DC United somehow in 2013 did it. And we had a 24 hour takeover of the brotherly I game. Re- I remember that. that. Cup. And it was so much fun.
2: I had a <laughs> lot of fun. Doing that.
0: Um, so, so what is going right on the field for the union specifically? Is it, is it CJ Sapong is, is the defense magically coming through? What, what do you think is the biggest point that's working?
3: Wow, biggest point. I you know, that that's such a tough question because last year nothing was really working well except for CJ. This year everything is working well. Um, you know, our defense which was kind of suspect going into the season, you know, we had uh, one guy with experience, you know, Fabinho. Uh, you know, Andre Blake had some experience but he had been injured uh, in, in 2015 uh we had rookies and keegan rosenberry uh a, you know a, a career usl guy and Ken Tribbett come in and, and it was a huge question mark and, and to have them play as well as they have um you know is is just absolutely amazing it's i think it's one of the the keys uh to success uh sapong being able to if not replicate his his run of form from last year. But to be able to to continue scoring goals when that was kind of a a question uh, has been huge. Uh, You know, to have all of this kind of come together uh, has been, I think, the biggest part. You know, I mean, it's very easy to have a a good striker, uh, you know, or a good striker tandem or, or to have a very good midfield. But to be able to put all of this together, I think, has really been uh, what's gone right for the union. You know, we don't have any huge name. We don't have a, a Davi via or, or, you know, a Kaká or somebody like that. We have 11 very good soccer players that work together as a cohesive unit. And, and I think that, um, you know, I think that's been the best and biggest thing for, for the union so far. Uh,
2: Eugene, I guess I'm going to start with something that might some of our, at least some of our listeners might have some uh, some local interest in. Um, the Union took at number two and number three this year at the draft. Uh, they took Keegan Rosenberry at number three, who you already mentioned, and actually who they wanted to sign anyway. Um, they were denied a homegrown claim by MLS due to some some club somewhere objecting. Basically, um, as far as we we'll we'll never actually know because it's mls of so of course there's a secrecy involved um but before that they took Josh Yarrow, and Yarrow has after not getting some starts early has has pushed his way in um tell our listeners about how they've been uh since since they've come in uh
3: for the union at right back and at center back sure um yeah we're still a little salty about not being able to to get Keegan on a homegrown uh player contract um but what can you do? You know, at this point it's kind of water under the bridge and we're very happy to have him. He got a big break uh, in the preseason when the favored right back uh, Ray Gattis went down with an injury. You know, Ray had been the, the starting right back for the club, um, you know, on and off uh, for, for the past couple of years. And that was kind of what we thought solidified when Shane and Williams was dealt to Houston. Uh, Keegan came in, uh, filled in very well for him during preseason, uh, Gattis went down with an injury and Rosenberry just hasn't relinquished the spot. Um, you know, uh, I think it was Armchair Analyst did a very good piece on Rosenberry uh, that that kind of pointed out some of the, the big things that he's been able to do. Um, you know, uh, shutting down guys like Gio Dos Santos and, and Robbie Keane and Kaká and And being able, you know, as a rookie, playing in his, you know, 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th games, to be able to come in and keep those guys, you know, off the score sheet uh, has been absolutely huge. Yarrow, Yarrow has been very good. He's still a little green. Um, You know, he has made some rookie mistakes. And, you know, I mean, it it happens. Um, But the the promise uh, on that guy is huge. And I think that him being able to get minutes uh, again, it was an injury situation. Um, Ken Tribbett, uh, the guy uh, who I mentioned earlier from, from Harrisburg had come in and kind of claimed that uh, starting job. And he went down a few weeks ago with an injury. Yarrow came in and has performed admirably Uh, again, a couple of rookie mistakes aside um, his, his future here, I think is very bright. Um, you know, especially when you have a center back that possesses that kind of speed and, and that kind of touch. I mean, the the touch on that guy is unreal, you know. So uh, we're very, very excited to have those two guys uh, come in. You know, I think a lot has been has been said about the understanding that those two guys have having played uh, at Georgetown, having been roommates and And, you know, I, I won't go too in depth on that. A lot has already been said and written about that, but, you know, just having that sort of chemistry and allowing the other guys to build off of that has been, you know, unique and and very good for the union.
2: Uh, Further forward, um, not too far far forward, but um, I've noticed that this year it seems like there was almost an expectation that Brian Carroll was going to no longer be with the union (laughs) He was re-signed, and he and Warren Cravall, I think Cravall has three or four starts, and Carroll has the rest as the number six uh, for the union. Um, I know in the past that Vincent Noguera has said that he prefers to play alongside Carroll, Um, but uh, it's almost like – is Jim Curtin making the choice to cycle those two based on opponents, or – Um, is it just an open battle for that spot uh, as, as the most defensive minded midfielder for the union right now?
3: I think it's a little from column A and a little from column B. Um, Both men have been absolutely fantastic uh, this year. Uh, Craval had one bad game where he picked up a a couple of silly uh, yellow cards and and was sent off. Uh, But other than that, uh, that guy has been huge for us. Um, his physicality is, is really unmatched, um, and he, you know he's another guy who's decept- deceptively good with the ball. You know, you don't think about uh, a big physical guy like Kreivall having that kind of uh, touch and that kind of uh, possession skills, but you know he's he's really got it. Uh, I think what you're starting to see now is Carroll and Kreivall being used situationally. I think when it calls for a more physical uh you know grinder kind of um, uh central defensive mid I think that's when uh, all gets gets the nod. Um I think when it calls for a little bit more finesse and a little bit more uh you know knowing where the lanes are going to open up and where the passes are going to go. I mean Carroll's obviously got the the edge there with the experience that he has. Um, you know, it's a very good problem for, for Jim Curtin to have. And um, I think you you can see kind of the ability to be interchanged uh, with the, the games this past week. You know, Carroll got the got the nod against L.A., uh, and then Craval got the nod against Montreal, you know, to give Carroll some time off. It's not like past years where we've had one good person at a position, and then they have to wind up. You, know, you have to hope that they can play 34 games because you're left with, you know, somebody who's not nearly as, as talented or as good. Hmm. Um,
2: uh, I guess my, I'll stick in the midfield for my, my last question. Um, the union really, uh, after getting Ernie Stewart to come in, uh, to be, uh, I don't know if he's general manager or technical director, but I mean, there's not really a difference anymore. Um, <laughs> but, uh, for, to, to use his, his contacts, uh, internationally um it's interesting that they they brought in uh roland Alberg, uh who is dutch uh, so stewart knew him very well from his time doing uh the same job that he does for the union he did that over with um uh, i i believe the actual pronunciation is az even though it's az in american english um (laughs) And it kind of bothers me to to say it any other way. Um but they brought they brought in Alberg, um kind of fell into the union's lap as far as I understand. Um and yet recently it's been Tranquilo Barneta, who was already there last year, and then Pontius and Sebastian Latou. It's been the guys that have that MLS experience. Is is it that uh the new guys are just having they need that time to adjust or are they legitimately being played onto the bench by some guys that maybe initially it
3: looked like we're going to get pushed aside um well i think in the case of alberg i think you're seeing him being kind of pushed to the side by pontius and by barnetta i mean barnetta is the guy when he when he's healthy when he can go full 90 he's the guy um you know uh, Pontius you can't sit a guy like Pontius when he's been playing as well as he has been playing Um, and I think that's been a bit of a revelation Um, you know and I think it's kind of unfortunate for Roland Um, he's a very good player uh, and and it's got to be frustrating for him not to be able to get the minutes that he you know probably wants Um, but you know right now it's a very again it's a very good situation for for union fans uh to be in to have that sort of competition going. It's quite frankly one we're not very familiar with um you know as I said before, we're not used to having a, a guy like Roland alberg that that's on the bench and that can come in and and, and can take over like you can I think el Il- El is a little bit different. I don't think he's fully match fit. I think he's a little bit out of shape. Um, mm. He looked very good. Um, he looked very good at the beginning of the season. Uh, he was had like a nagging injury, uh, and I think that's why you saw a two takeover uh, for him. And I don't think he's quite regained match fitness. He's come in and, and at times has looked very sharp. Um, you know his skills on the ball, his dribbling ability uh, is is you know something that's very uncommon in MLS uh but he's also had fits where he looked very out of shape where you know he just would watch a, a pass go by because he didn't feel like he could get to it um you know so that's that's the sort of thing i think as time goes on and he he kind of gets those minutes and, and starts to regain match fitness um i think you'll start to see more of him so Eugene, my question is
1: not quite about this game on the field on Friday but uh about Philadelphia Union and their development. Uh they started the uh Bethlehem Steel this year, the, the new Bethlehem Steel, and I was just wondering as a uh, DC United is a team that is hoping to start their own USL team sometime uh down the road and I was just wondering how you think their uh owning usl team has gone so far this season and has it actually helped the philadelphia unit or how has that worked so far this year
3: i think it's been absolutely great for the union if for nothing else than to show guys uh, at the usl level and and even at the academy level that there is a clear path of development that you can play well at one level and then get moved up to, to the next level um you know we saw that with with josh yarrow he got you know he he was on the on the bench the the first couple of games he got he got in uh at bethlehem steel he got some minutes in there uh he's now playing on the first team you know they were able to sign um Derek jones over the past uh off season he was an academy kid uh that the union were able to sign to bethlehem steel and he's been getting minutes and has looked very good there so you know if if for nothing else, you can prove to these players, even you know as young as you know sixteen, seventeen, eighteen. Look, there is a clear and defined path for you to go to get from where you are now to playing you know in front of twenty thousand people on Saturdays, and I I think that is huge. I also think having a team that is in the sphere of influence. Um, where they all train together, where you know you're working with the same coaches and, and the same system and the same setup, and you, you know you get to know the first team players and the academy players. I think that also helps to ingrain that sort of culture and that sort of mentality into these players. You know that you know, hey, you know, you're training next to Tranquillo Boneta, you're training next to you know Ilzinho or, or, or you know Andre Blake or whoever, and you know this can be you. Put in the hard work, you know, and, and do your you know do your dues, and and this can be you.
0: But it doesn't sound like you'll be training next to Zlatan anytime soon.
3: You know, <laughs> um, I I reached out to MLS. I, I still haven't heard anything as to why. Uh, Zlatan would not be allowed to be discoverable um, hopefully they will they will answer my question um, I, I think the bigger question that that I'm Cause, wondering cause it's
1: because Zlatan discovers you
3: well <laughs> Zlatan maybe, so. is like Soviet
1: Russia in that respect
0: actually uh, Taylor Twalman was on MLS's podcast Extra Time Radio and he said that It wasn't that Zlatan is not discoverable. Like what he was saying was half tongue in cheek, apparently, because how do you discover Zlatan? Um, It's a phrase, but yeah, it's it's, it's a dibs list. And, and really what it would be is that the union would not be willing to put forward a bona fide offer that Zlatan would be willing to accept and therefore would not receive compensation, would not be eligible to receive compensation. That being the case
3: philadelphia put zlatan on their discovery list uh kudos for chutzpah <laughs> <laughs> well i mean here's the thing with, with all due respect to taylor twelman how does he know what or what the philadelphia union will or will not put up um you know do i believe that that the union would do it no i don't i don't think that they would but there's a process in place mls has these processes in place And they, they should be followed. That's Hey, make Jay Sugarman, you know, do it or not do it, give him the opportunity. And then if he doesn't do it, which is, is most, the most likely scenario, then okay, we can, we can move on. But I still feel like you have to give him that, you know, call his bluff.
1: Yeah. Also, also we're on your side. Uh, as long as Bruce you don't Ar- actually
0: sign Zlatan we're on your side.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, Bruce Arena should have to send you $50,000 in allocation money.
3: Yeah, Bruce Arena or or Mia Hamm or who, whoever, you know. Right. I'm not, I'm still not con- fully convinced it's going to be the Galaxy. Um I I believe it it would be the, you know, LAFC would have a much better case to be made uh to bring in a guy like Zlatan, but I, I don't care who it is. You know, yeah, if you're an MLS club and you're trying to sign him, you owe us fifty grand, at I least. I, I, uh, yeah, I, I, the the thing that comes to mind with me, uh,
2: especially Eugene, when you brought up uh, Jay Sugarman, who is the the union's is he the outright owner, or is he the majority owner. Um, but in either case, um, the the idea that we just assume that the union won't make that deal, I mean. The Revs signed Jermaine Jones and no one anywhere expected them to put up more than uh, was like legally mandated in MLS's contracts. Like you have to pay the guy $60,000 a year. They're oh, fine, uh, <laughs> because that's New England. Um, and then all of a sudden when the, the opportunity arose, they jumped in and were like, yeah, we'll we'll pay a few million dollars for that guy. And everyone was like, the Revs? Like you, are you sure
3: you're from the New
2: England Revolution? Like have you Absolutely. forgotten what
3: club you are? Um, so Absolutely. you have to give. You know, that's that's yeah, something that, that Sugarman has said in the past: is that for the right player, he would open yeah. up the purse strings. He's not going to just run out and, and sign uh, whoever and, and dump a ton of money just because they're available. Is Lawton that sort of player? Maybe he is. Maybe he isn't. But if you don't give him the opportunity to pull mm-hmm. the trigger on that, you know, you're circumventing your own rules and you're you know you're you're coming up with another reason for fans to to bitch and moan about how LA and Seattle gets everything you know i
0: i am kind of tickled of the idea of Zlatan playing for Atlanta next year because apparently Carlos Bukenako was at the PSG game this weekend which is their final game and Zlatan's final game at uh what is it the Stade de Princes uh in Paris and and the idea of of Zlatan in Atlanta just tickles me Zlatan in the South is a delightful thought. Um, And I really want to see Zlatan be introduced to like (laughs) (laughs) Chick-fil-A. I I don't know why. It's just something that that I enjoy the thought of. Um, Back to the game at hand, Eugene, my last question for you. If you were sitting across... The field or I guess across the the midfield stripe from from Jim Curtin and the Philadelphia Union, how would you game plan for them? What mm-hmm. would you be focusing on to take away and to attack
3: Sure, I think something that clubs have to do is uh, to to uh, be on point with their set pieces. I think that is that has gotten better for the union defending uh, set pieces. But I think that that is still an area of weakness. I think giving up rebounds, uh, Andre Blake doesn't give up many, but when he does, um, you know, that's, a, that's something else that, that DC United should look to do, you know, maybe rush and, and get somebody else up into the box, uh, waiting for those rebounds to come in. Um, you know, other than that, it's, it's the basic, you know, score early and then try and hold on for the, for the ride. I mean, because there really aren't any glaring weaknesses that this club has. Um, you know, aside from a guy having an off night or something like that, you know, good luck. All right, Eugene Rapinski, thanks for coming on the show. Why don't you tell our listeners where they can find you online? Absolutely. Uh, find us at brotherlygame.com. We're on Twitter at Brotherly Game. Uh, you can find me at Golazo del Gringo. Um, I tweet about MLS and Liga MX. Um, and yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. Uh, best of luck. And uh, you know, we'll be we'll be in touch soon, I'm sure. Absolutely. And and
0: thank you all for listening. Find us at blackandredunited.com. We're on Twitter at filibuster DCU for the podcast at blackandredyou for the website. Send your emails to filibusterpodcast at com. Find us on iTunes. Find us on Stitcher. We're on SoundCloud as well. Mostly, though, when you're on the bus on your way up to chester pa on friday afternoon tell a friend about the podcast maybe fire it up on your your mobile device for for everyone on the bus or in your car or your train if you're taking the the amtrak up to to listen to because word of mouth is really how people find out about us so uh thank you all for listening again for jason and ben thanking eugene one more time i'm adam and we'll talk to you real soon say goodbye jason
2: jason bye good